Thank you to the worship team. You may be seated this morning. Uh, My name is Johnny. I'm the campus pastor here at the Bridge, and I am excited to be with you this morning. Excited to be continuing our series through Lent that we are calling Beautiful. Thank you, Sean. Oh my goodness. Right on top of it. The series that we are calling Beautiful, and part of the reason we're calling it Beautiful is because every week of this series we have had a piece of art to help guide us through uh, our journey. And the artists all took the passage for the Sunday morning that they were creating for uh, and created a piece of art. So last week was a poem, the week before that was uh, this beautiful painting, uh, the week before that was a song, and this week, uh, Lindsay Stock, who is a member of our congregation here, and all of this has been uh, people who are part of our, uh, our campus here at the bridge. Um, Lindsay Stock is a very gifted photographer, and she uh, took so much intentionality and poured so much energy into the passage and this photograph. And I am just so grateful uh, for the work that she did. If you see Lindsay, I would uh, encourage you to say thank you because um, she told me that she thinks of herself more, I think, as a portrait photographer and less as an art photographer. I hope that if she's here, she doesn't mind me saying that. But she is wrong. Lindsay, you are an art photographer. This is the proof right here. So um, this is a beautiful picture and we're glad uh, that Lindsay shared her Um, passion and talent with us. Um, As we go through the sermon today, if you have questions about the passage or questions about my sermon, or you just want to say, you are a heretic and send that to me, um, you can do that right here. Uh, That's not my phone number. That just goes to an inbox uh, for the uh, sermon questions and things like that. And then I will do a Facebook video uh, that goes out on Tuesday. So I try to talk through the questions, answer them where I can, and I do a Facebook video that goes on the Meredith Drive Reformed Church Facebook page on Tuesday. So if anything sparks something in you, the number will be up on screens throughout the time, and I would love to interact with uh, any questions that you might have. So we've been in the book of Luke for Lent so far, and we have arrived this week at Luke chapter 15. We're moving at a breakneck pace uh, through the book of Luke. We're following the lectionary, and it's moving us quickly through the book of Luke. And this morning we've reached chapter 15. And in chapter 15, uh, we have come to a passage full of parables. If I was an old-fashioned preacher, I would do a whole sermon around the word, the letter P, okay? Because we're at a passage full of parables. And parables are stories that Jesus told when he wanted to help people understand. Science uh, now has uh, studied this and has revealed uh, the truth of what Jesus already knew, and that is people remember stories better. People can connect better with stories. So if you give information in a lecture form versus information in a story, a story will be a more effective way to help people understand and actually uh, connect the information to their life. And so Jesus, often when he wanted to do some teaching, would tell stories. And he told stories for all kinds of reasons, obviously to teach, um, but also to challenge, to sometimes provide an alternative perspective on a situation or an issue. And this morning, Jesus is telling three stories, and he tells them to do what the kids these days call clap back. These stories are Jesus clap back, okay? Now, for all of you looking at me like, what are you talking about? This is a real thing that is defined in the dictionary, believe it or not. A clap back is responding to criticism with a withering comeback. Withering, you guys. In emoji form, okay, for all you kids out there, this is a clap back, okay? If you get a text from a kid, uh, it's 20-something and under, and there's a lot of this in the text, they are sassing you. That's what's happening. 
They are clapping back at you. Watch out for these text messages. So today Jesus is giving a clap back to the Pharisees. They are out to get him, and he is clapping back. So in Luke chapter 15, we find Jesus. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2. It sets the stage, and then we're going to skip forward to verse 11. Everything's going to be up on the screen for us this morning. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is the criticism that Jesus is about to clap back to. Verse 11, Jesus told this story. There was a young man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. So there's actually three parables that Jesus tells in this passage. We just skipped to the last one, but the uh, other two parables are called the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. I'm only going to briefly talk about this because that's not my main point, but I wanted to mention it um, because the parable of the lost sheep is the inspiration for a song that we sing here and a song that we sang this morning called Reckless Love. Reckless Love. And believe it or not, there's a lot of consternation, consternation, there's a lot of consternation around the song Reckless Love because of that word reckless. But 
if you read the story of the lost sheep, Jesus talks about how a shepherd was willing to leave behind 99 sheep in order to go get one sheep that was lost. From the perspective of risk management, that is reckless. We have some insurance people in the house this morning, some actuaries among us, and they are thinking to themselves, I would not insure this shepherd, okay? He does not know what he's doing. This is reckless. He's leaving 99 for one. This is not good from a risk management standpoint. And that's the point of the parable. God does not do a cost-benefit analysis with his love. It's reckless in that it happens according to a logic that is beyond our capacity to understand. We want formulas and spreadsheets and black and white answers. Who's in? Who's out? Where's the line? How far can that sheep go before it becomes too risky to go and get it? This is the way that our minds think. But God's love cannot be formulated in those terms. So when we sing reckless love here, that's the love that we're talking about. The fact that we have a God who loves us so much that it defies what we think of as reasonable. God's love goes beyond our comprehension. And that reality of reckless love and that uh, parable of the lost sheep sets the stage for this third parable that Jesus tells called the parable of the prodigal son. And in that story, we see another situation that seems to defy logic. It seems to defy our understanding of how things should work. Probably for some of us, uh, the story defies the way that we think a father would or should react in this type of situation. Just like the Pharisees, we have some preset ideas and, uh, and uh, ideas about who God loves and how far God's love will go. We have preset ideas about what is reasonable and acceptable. What is a proper amount of risk or uh, recklessness for God to do on behalf of of someone else. And Jesus comes in and offers a different perspective. And he offers a different picture for what the love of God looks like. So the story begins with a man and his two sons. And the younger son asks for the uh, father to split his inheritance in half. Split up your estate, he says, and give me my half. Now, in the culture Jesus was speaking into, this was um, an extreme request. I'm not sure that we have a, a proper understanding of just what this would have meant within that type of culture where the father's estate was everything. That was his lineage. That was his legacy. That was everything he could possibly have to leave his children when he died. And so when the younger son comes in and says, I want you to split this up right now, he's not just asking for money. He's not just saying, I would like to cash out on my savings account. He's actually coming in and the implication of what he's saying is, Dad, I really wish you were dead. I really wish you were just dead so I could get what was mine and I could do what I want with it. Because when the estate gets split up, that's, that's the moment when the, when the father dies. And so the son comes in and he says, Dad, I want my money. And the implication of that is, Dad, I wish you were dead. I think we imagine a son who's asking for his trust fund, right? A son who's coming in and asking if he can cash out the stocks and bonds that his dad bought him when he was just a little baby or whatever. But it's not really like that. This is money that was going to let that man live into his old age. That was the, that was the lifestyle that was going to allow him to be uh, going on into perpetuity and it was going to go to his son so they could have good lives after that. And instead, the son comes and asks for his half. The younger son's request for his half isn't just the action of a greedy son. 
but it is the action of a person who has no concern for the future well-being of his father. He doesn't care about the future well-being of his father or his brother or anyone else in his family. It's not just about greed. It's about a total lack of concern. This is the move of someone who is making a break with his family. The move of someone who plans to leave and never come back. You can't come back after something like this. There's, there's no option for return. You took your half, you told your dad you wished he was dead, and you bounced. Like, that is the end of the story for you. This is the decision that someone makes when they don't care anymore about where they came from. They only care about where they are going. And that's exactly what the younger son is looking at. Where can I go? And the story says that he leaves for a distant country, a place where there's no accountability where there's no one who knows his name, where there's no one who can report back to his father about what he's doing. He's gone off to a place so far away from his family that they could never hear about him again. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what he does because he is on his own. And what he does when he gets there is he squanders all of his wealth on what Luke calls wild living. If you keep reading to what the older brother says, you get some idea of what wild living uh, might have looked like. Uh, but Luke is, you know, kind of relaxed with this, and he just calls it wild living. So the younger son has gone off, and he has squandered his wealth on wild living. And then bad goes to worse because a famine hits the country that he's living in. So now any people, uh, any friends, any acquaintances that this young man would have had are suddenly closing up shop and telling him they don't have any room for him. They have to take care of themselves. They have to take care of theirs and their own. A famine has come. There's not enough food to go around for everyone. And so the younger man gets the worst and most degrading job available. He gets a job feeding the pigs. Now this is Iowa, so it's not good to call that degrading. But it's not quite like that back then, okay? Feeding the pigs is not like running a hog confinement farm <laughs> these days. Probably just as smelly, but a little different. Um, and the context here is Jesus talking to religious leaders. These are the people who understand Judaism and the uh, Israelite law better than anyone else. And uh, there's a big part of the Israelite law where pigs are seen as the most unclean possible animal that you can interact with. Pigs are the most unclean. This is like the poster pig, for uncleanness, okay? And the son now has to go and work with pigs. And he's working so close with pigs that he's actually longing for what they are eating. How bad is your situation that you are looking at what the pigs are eating and you're wishing that you could have some of that? This is the rock bottom for this man. His job degrades everything he would have been raised understanding and loving. He's so hungry that he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. He has no money, no friends, no options, no nothing. And it's in that place that he works up this plan. He's going to go back to his father's house and offer to work as a servant. He knows that he's burned too many bridges to go back as a son. He doesn't, that's not even a thought in his mind at this point. He understands that what he said and what he did and where he's gone and what he's done are too much, too far. The transgression is too great for him to go back to his dad and say, I'm really sorry, bring me back into your house. He doesn't even picture this as an option for him because he understands that the break that he made was complete. He walked away. But he's hoping, he's praying, he's thinking maybe there's just enough mercy left in the situation that he could be welcomed back as a servant, that he could work in the fields with his father's hired men. He's thinking maybe, maybe there's enough mercy left for that. And so 
he heads home. Uh, my oldest son, Joseph, is uh, adopted. He's from Nigeria. And when we adopted him, my wife had to stay there uh, in Nigeria a few weeks longer. I had to go home and go back to work, and she had to stay in the country a few weeks longer to wrap things up. And uh, she gets the plane ticket. She's going to come home. And I remember waiting at the airport uh, for her. I remember waiting there for her to come down this escalator. It was in Des Moines. If you've ever picked somebody up there, you stand, you know, at the bottom of the escalator and it's, you're looking at feet like, oh, is that the feet of the person I love? No, those are the feet of somebody else. Why is this person on the escalator? Get out of here. Uh, I'm waiting, you know, for this person. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting for Kayla and Joseph to come down the escalator. And all of a sudden, there they are, right? You see the feet and those are the feet, right? This is it, right? Here comes Kayla. Here comes Joseph. And at that moment, there was probably a hundred people there waiting for, we we had thrown a party at the airport and there's probably a hundred people there, it seemed like. And we're waiting and all of a sudden it doesn't matter who's there. All I'm doing is running up to Kayla and Joseph and crying and hugging. I can't contain myself. My wife and my son are home. They are now back. And, uh, And I had that much hair to welcome them home with. So much hair. Um, but I didn't care what anybody thought. I didn't care that I looked ridiculous. I was crying and laughing and carrying on and hugging my wife and my son. And it didn't matter what anybody thought because this was such a beautiful moment. My family was whole. I love this part of the story in the prodigal son because it says the man saw his son while he was still a long way off. He saw him while he was still a long way off. And that conjures up a picture of a man who is actively watching and waiting for his son to return. I just imagine this father sitting on the porch day after day praying for his son. Day after day longing to see his son. He's looking out into the horizon and he's thinking, is today the day? Is today the day where I'll see my son again? That which was lost will be found. That which was dead will be alive. And he sits there. I have this idea of him sitting there and waiting and praying. And one day, he sees someone coming down the road. And he's wondering, can it be? There's been other people before. There's been people that weren't his son before that have come down the road. He sees this man coming down the road and he thinks, could it be? Could it be him? And as the sun comes closer, his features come into view. He's thinner now. His clothes are filthy and worn. But a father can see past all of that. A father can see past the emaciated frame and the raggedy clothes. A father can see past all that and see the thing that he has longed for the whole time. His son. And now the watching and waiting father becomes the running father. And I imagine the servants are all staring and, uh, and wondering, what in the world is this old man doing running down the road after this stranger who's walking up? And they, they can't understand. He looks like a fool. He's running down the road to greet somebody. This, there's no decorum left. They don't know what's going on. This is reckless love. The father doesn't care what anybody thinks of him at that moment. This is a love that looks ridiculous, Because it is pouring out faster than it can be contained. That's a reckless kind of a love right there. Then there they are, hugging and crying. The father can't believe it. This is what he prayed for and what he waited for. And now all of a sudden his son is saying something. What is it? What is his son saying? What is it? I've sinned against God and against you. I don't even deserve to be your son. This is what he hears 
his son saying, and the father's not having any of it. He doesn't even respond to these words. If you read the passage, it's like he doesn't even hear it. It's like whatever his son just said to him doesn't even matter. He doesn't even respond. The forgiveness is already complete. The love already poured out. The grace already given. The mercy here is boundless. The sins are forgotten. This has become a family reunion, not a time to rehash what happened in the past. This moment has become something holy and something pure. And no conversation about I'm not worth it to be your son anymore matters because the forgiveness is complete. This is done in the father's eyes. His son has come home. I love this picture that Lindsay took because she didn't capture the emotional moment between the father and the son. When I look at this, I don't see the emotional reunion of father and son. What I see is the truth and the reality of grace given. This is a picture of a father and son who are not mid-reconciliation, but are fully reconciled together, side by side. Messy reunions are incredible. They're beautiful to watch. We all watch the, the military dads coming home and surprising their kids. We, we all cry, okay? We love the messy reunions. But the real beauty is the lived out reality of amended relationship. This picture and the truth of this story, the beauty of it all, is that grace isn't momentary. Grace carries forward. What a beautiful moment between a father and a son. I wish that was the end of the story. Jesus could have just stopped right there. What a nice story it would have been. And we would all remember the beautiful story of the prodigal son forever. It's incredible. It's an incredible thing that we've all witnessed in the story. The reckless love of a father for his child. But if you remember the context of why Jesus is even talking, this isn't just a story for that reason. This is a story that's being told to the Pharisees who are complaining about the people Jesus is hanging out with. They did not believe that God's grace extended to those they deemed outsiders. Uh, Jesus is clear with them on this point. There is no transgression that God's love doesn't cover. There is no country too far or sin too great for God. And now, after all of that, after making it clear with the story of the reckless love of this father, Jesus goes a step further and gives them a warning. And here's the warning. Don't miss out on the party. Don't miss out on the party. The story ends with a conversation between the man and his older son. All that time, the younger son was squandering his money away. The older son has been there steady by his father's side, taking care of business, making sure everything was going well. And he cannot understand the grace that the father has for the younger son. If you look at his words, you'll see that the way he's viewing this is as a transactional relationship. This is a transactional issue, and he's speaking in transactional terms. He's saying, he was bad, I was good. I deserve a party. He deserves to still be stuck with the pigs. I've been here, he left, where's mine? He's looking at the relationship now in transactional terms. This is how the Pharisees and how we so often look at our own relationship with God. 
We get caught up in keeping score and then comparing what we do for God against what we think other people are doing for God. We compare our relationship with God and, oh, my daily Bible reading and the fact that I pray once in a while and I go to church and all this different kind of stuff. And then we look at somebody else who claims to be part of the family of God and they don't look like they are doing enough to really get that title. If you've ever thought something like, I don't know how that person can say they're a Christian if they are doing that, then you have been the older brother in this story. I am implicated in that statement. I have for sure said, I don't know how that person can say they're a Christian if they're doing that. I am the older brother. I have to check myself on this all the time. But the whole point of Jesus' story here is that we have no right to police the love and grace of God. The father's response to the older brother is God's response to us when we fall into this way of thinking. He says, they were lost and they are now found. They were dead and they are now alive. You are loved and so are they. Stop worrying about what someone else has done or hasn't done and come in And enjoy the party. Because the truth is this morning, the only person missing out is the older son. He's missing the party. He's missing out on the power of grace. He's pouting while everyone else celebrates. And when we think we know better than God who deserves grace or who is in the family or who deserves a party, we are missing the point and we are missing the party that God is inviting us to. A party where no one is checking the list at the door because the only cost for admission is grace. And guess what? It all got paid. It all got paid. That's the party. We're about to get long, but it's only two pages. As I wrote this week, as I studied this week, as I thought this week, I didn't think about us as individuals as much as I thought about us here at the bridge. And I wondered, are we as a body prepared to play the part of the Father in this story? Are we prepared to throw our arms around everyone who enters this place looking for grace? Because I believe this morning down deep in my heart that God is calling people here. Even this morning, there may be people here who can't quite explain what they're doing in these chairs, but they just know that something is drawing them here. God is drawing them here. This morning, we might have first-time visitors and long-term members alike who all need the same thing. It's the thing that all of us need to experience the reckless love and grace and mercy of God, to have arms thrown around them and to be loved exactly as they are, not as we think that they should be. So a year and a half ago, some folks came here for the first time in just that type of situation. Um, Scott and Lisa Schulte are members of our community here. Uh, If you are ever putting up chairs or watching chairs being torn down, you have for sure seen Scott with the chairs. That man is on the chairs. It's amazing. 
And, and right now, Lisa is actually upstairs with our fifth graders teaching. She's with our students. She loves it. She loves our kids here. They are part of our body. But a year and a half ago, Scott and Lisa hadn't felt connected to God in years. They were not living the wild life of the prodigal son. I don't want to make it sound like that. But all of life is messy. And they felt far from home. The first day that they came here, they were met at the door by Larry Madol. Now, you might not know that you know Larry Madol, but if you are here this morning, you met Larry Madol. Larry is at the front door every single week. He has a huge heart for the people who come into this building. He loves every person who comes through those doors, whether he knows them or not, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, what they look like, where they're from, it doesn't matter to Larry. Larry loves them when they walk in the door. And on that day, Larry looked at Scott and Lisa walking through the front door, and he said two words to them that Lisa described to me as a homing beacon for us to follow. She said to me, it was like God sent a homing beacon for us to follow when Larry said this. Larry said, welcome home. Welcome home. And that is exactly where Scott and Lisa are now. Every week, they're home with us, taking care of our body, taking care of chairs, taking care of kids. They are part of our family here, and they bring so much life and light to our church. And this is the beautiful thing. I have heard them talk about how this church has brought life and light to them. What a beautiful thing to be welcomed home. When I think about the bridge, it's going to be two years that I've been here in June. When I think about the bridge, these are the kinds of stories that I think about. I think about what a place that this can be when we are welcoming people home. And my prayer for us is that we would continue to invite people, and we would continue to welcome people, and we would continue to throw a party and join the party that God is throwing whenever someone has come from a far away and a distant land, and we don't know the story or what they were up to, and they come here, and we just say, welcome home. Welcome to the party that God is throwing. Welcome to this experience of God's love and mercy. That's the gift that God has given to us as those who follow him, and it's the gift that he is allowing us to share with others. I feel very at home here this morning, and I pray that you will continue to be the kind of people who can welcome others with open arms here at the bridge. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this story. I thank you that when I read it and think about it, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. How would I respond? Would I be that filled with compassion to run down the road and run out to greet the son who told me he wished I was dead? God, we can't understand the the depth and the richness of your love for us, but we can be grateful for it. And God, part of that gratitude can be that we will not play the role of the older son, but God, that we will come into the party. That we will join in 
this, this party of grace and mercy and forgiveness that we would throw our arms around our brothers and say, we are so glad that you're here. And not ask questions about where all the money went or why they smell so bad, God. All we're worried about is what you're worried about. And that is that the lost have been found, that the dead have come to life. God, give us that perspective. For those that we meet walking around in our everyday lives and for those that we meet walking into this church on Sunday morning, God. Help us join the party that you're throwing. We love you, God, and we are amazed and blown away by your reckless love for us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.